0: The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. We. I assume you're not talking about adulterated products in the FDA.
1: <laughs> that is a, that, that too. Okay. Um, but we're going to talk about it actually and, and we'll see the interesting context. But um, what's interesting is there are currently 21 states that adultery is prohibited in. Only 21? Only 21 states. It's a misdemeanor, I believe. It's punishable by a fine. Few states have jail time. Um, the most expensive fine is $1,200. Now, in Texas, I believe it is prohibited. It is illegal on the books. In Maryland, by the way, the penalty is $10 for adultery. With the famous case in Texas in 2003, the Supreme Court ruled in Lawrence versus Texas that sexual activity between consenting adults is legal and state laws banning homosexual sodomy are unconstitutional. That was the famous law. As we know, the Supreme Court is going to rule, might even be tomorrow. Tomorrow is the next round of rulings. They are going to be ruling on homosexuality. Now, what I'm speaking to some constitutional attorneys recently. That they said once the Supreme Court rules that homosexual homosexual marriage is permitted, and then meaning that to prohibit homosexual marriage is unconstitutional, so then many of these adultery laws will also be deemed automatically unconstitutional because once you're saying consensual um, between man- relations between any two adults is cannot be prohibited is unconstitutional to prohibit that so then adultery laws would also have to would have to fit into that too so too by the way with um uh polygamy laws i mean even though the supreme court is not going to rule on that but the argument is made once the supreme court will rule about homosexuality and polygamy is also you no know, is going to be unconstitutional to prohibit polygamy that's one of the arguments being made so we'll see how that Works.
0: You mean banning,
1: polygamy banning, yeah. banning polygamy would be unconstitutional also because what's the difference? It's cons- if you're saying two consenting adults in a relationship is to ban that is unconstitutional, so then you, it's very hard to to draw the line. Why are drawing the line at people of the same sex? Right. So that's going to be that's something that's going to be interesting over the next few years once they do pass this law because we do know what they're going to say tomorrow. Whatever they say it. Um, I don't think it's a question at this point. So, so, that's, so it's going to be interesting to see how this all works out. So what we want to talk about today is, you know, it's really more, just to not know how to put it in the title, sort of bait and switch. Um, but the, the issue is, obviously uh, adultery is prohibited in Jewish law. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's a capital crime in Jewish law. Um, and people like to think that they're sexist, which it is on many occasions, but in, when it comes to adultery, the part of it, as you'll see, part of it might be viewed as sexist, but the, the capital punishment is applied to both the, both the male and the female. That means if it's an act of adultery, both the both parties involved um, is considered in violation of a capital crime, and can and potentially could receive capital punishment if there's witnesses, etc., and there obviously has to be a whole, it's a whole process, which was very rare, um, especially in the case of, of adultery, because obviously they're not, there's usually not going to be witnesses in the public, um, because in Jewish law, you have to actually see, just like in murder, you have to actually see the act. It's not sufficient. Circumstantial evidence is never accepted in a Jewish court of law. Um, so, so even, let's say, you have a... Uh, a man, and a woman checking into the Motel Eight or whatever it is, or the Westin, wherever. Um, that that is not sufficient to to say that something was going on. Maybe he was I his, hate to sound, maybe he was doing her taxes.
0: I hate to sound yeah. really stupid. Yes, but it's how not is not the first. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Nor the last. But how is adultery actually defined? Is it okay, so it a sexual a, so that's a very good question. beyond the uh, marriage, so,
1: or...? Yeah, so there's two very important aspects of adultery, and this is where, again, it could be viewed as somewhat sexist. In The act of adultery in Jewish law is defined as a married woman having relations outside her marriage, having relations with someone else besides her husband. Um, so, so that means a married man... Um, is not defined as adultery. Again, both parties are equal to the crime. It means as long as a married woman is involved, then it's adultery. But a married man who has, let's say, relations with a single woman outside of marriage, that's not defined as adultery in Jewish law. Mm-hmm. I don't know about it in that's, Yeah, I don't think that's the case then. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. the, the the And the reason for that is very simple in all societies. Not so simple, but in all societies, um, as we mentioned before, polygamy, even according to the Torah, technically is permitted, is not illegal. So, therefore, a male can have More than one. multiple relationships. Female can. Right.
2: So there's no such thing as the converse of a concubine for for women.
1: No. No. Doesn't work, right? Meaning, so, so again, that some might view that as sexist, um, but and again as far as the law once it is a definitive case of adultery then everyone's treated equal the male and the female not only that as we're going to talk about there's also the the prohibition of even if let's say let's say a woman commits adultery she not only becomes biblically after it's prohibited she, she's prohibited to her lover meaning the Torah says she's prohibited to marry a lover but she's also prohibited to go back to her husband um, so she's, Both things. She's prohibitive what? Stay married. She can't marry a lover, and she can't go. She can't stay married to her husband. Present Both those are both biblical laws. So we'll see that's relevant to what we're going to talk about. Now the third thing, getting back to your question, Ed, you know, it's not, as, it's not a bad question actually. Is that meaning adultery in the Torah mm-hmm. is only defined as sexual intercourse in the literal sense, meaning anything Clint, Clintonian. Sorry, I'm late. You're on time.
0: Grand jury. I saved to... you some
1: food. Oh, thank you. You got off?
3: Of course. Good for you. I wouldn't have been here to come back
1: yet. You fulfilled your your duty. Thank you for fulfilling your duty.
3: Wow. Scary. So, if it has to be something other than circumstantial evidence.
1: No, so there's no circumstantial evidence that's ever accepted. what I'm saying is, the meaning anything Clintonian, um, that means, you know, that happened in the Oval Office, less than. Actual sexual intercourse is not, um, is not considered adultery. Now, we're not condoning it. I'm not saying Clinton did a good thing, but it wouldn't be defined as adultery. Okay? Um, so cigars, whatever whatever happened there, I can, this is a family class. It's a lunch class, I'm not gonna get too graphic. But uh, the point is, so the, technically, biblically, it's not defined as adultery. Um, again, I don't know what the secular law, how that would
3: so my my question about the evidence was yeah. you say that circumstantial evidence was not
1: it's never accepted per, in a Jewish
3: permisi- court permissible yeah. so if you don't have circumstantial evidence then it'd have to be somebody that's in the room
1: okay so yes yeah, so, so then stop. how
3: did you ever prove it
1: oh so that's that's what I'm saying that's it's very rare to have a case of capital punishment um, within adultery but the Talmud help. yeah what the Talmud does say is you Um, there is an exception, not an exception, but it says, this is, I'm just quoting the language of the Talmud, it says you don't have to see the act as a key in a keyhole it's sufficient to see them in a lover's embrace, so meaning if you see them in, you know, two people in a lover's embrace that's sufficient, you don't have to actually literally witness it in in graphic detail right, so so, but but that's not circumstantial, that's actual witnessing So so does
3: that go to why in some instances, people who are ultra-orthodox men who are ultra-orthodox, has a woman who's not a family member.
1: Well, uh, well, it's, yeah. it's, no, well, it is related. Meaning, the Torah prohibits, you know, like what's a joke? You know, if you dance, dancing might lead to, you know, the some in in, actually in biblical law, the Torah says don't do anything that can lead to um, adultery or any prohibi- other prohibited sexual act. So there is anything that's called, uh, any touching, that's called derechima, someone outside the marriage, meaning uh, derechima, meaning a loving, a show of affection. Right. Um, well, you know, so even a handshake, that's why some people don't shake members of the opposite hand, because right. that could, that's a show of affection. It wasn't how you define it. So, so that's where the...
0: That's biblical or biblical? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the, the, the verse is, it's a very general verse. The verse is do not do any do not come close to her to reveal her nakedness. So that's defined as anything that can lead the Torah uses euphemisms. Torah actually it's interesting, there's no word for sex. Um, there's no word for uh, in the whole Bible, I mean like sex, there's a lot of euphemism. You know, he knew her, right? Adam knew her Eve. That's the, so one of the euphemisms is the Torah says is, when the Torah talks about even adultery, it says, do not reveal her nakedness. Any of the sexual prohibitions, that's the words used. The Torah doesn't say anything about sex. So the, so
0: the definition that it is only sex is a rabbinic definition. Yeah, well,
1: yeah, it well, yes. It's not explicit in the Torah, but it says do not reveal her nakedness. Same thing with incest. It lists a whole bunch of relationships that you shall not reveal the nakedness. So that's a euphemism for sex. So you make You're right, an sir.
0: argument that posting a, a naked picture of, of a woman on the internet is certainly a violation of that. Uh,
1: maybe. They didn't have pictures in those days. So. Um, but so, so, so that's where it's derived from. So, so the assumption is it's a biblical prohibition to do anything that can lead to the end Okay? Okay. Um, but it's not called adultery. That's not defined as adultery. Meaning anything leading up to the act is not an adultery. It's a separate prohibition. Called don't do anything that can come to it.
0: Okay. Really Coercive crime. All
1: right. So now, so what I want to discuss is fascinating case that I was uh, that someone brought to my attention, which was, I um, think there's in intelligence language is something called a honeypot. Um, if you work for the CIA, honeypot is means when they send out a Usually, going to be a female agent to attract a member of the opposite sex um, in order to get him in a compromising position, so the intelligence agency can do uh, you know can whatever whatever they want to do to kill him, kidnap him, whatever it is. So that's known as the honeypot. Um, and uh, as obviously as we know, Mossad is a, one of the better, one of the great um, agency. And there was a case. In the 1980s, uh, if you recall this case, with, uh, when Israel uh, Israel still currently doesn't admit to having nuclear uh, uh, nuclear facilities, I mean, they admit to having nuclear facilities, but not producing um, weapons, nuclear weapons. There was a fellow uh, named Mordechai Venunu, I think this was in 1982, um, who left Israel. He, he had he was been he had been working in Damona in the nuclear power plant, and he. Left, um, he left the country on a vacation, went originally to Australia, came close with the Anglican Church there. He was a, he was, he was Jewish, Moroccan-born, um, and he had taken 60 pictures of inside the Damona power plant, and he eventually ended up in London and offered it for sale to the London Times, um, those 60 pictures. I believe many of them were published. Um, the, the Mossad then sent this woman, whose name is Cheryl Bento, her code name was Cindy, she was a married woman, she actually lives in Orlando, Florida. She currently sells timeshares, seriously. seriously? Yeah. If you ever get a phone call from a woman named Cheryl selling timeshares, be careful. Yeah. Um, she's still happily married to the same husband. And they sent her to London to develop a relationship with this guy, Venu, who was holed up in a hotel there, but they got him to come to, survey. to a certain social event. She met him there. At some point, she convinced him to take a trip with her to Rome, to her sister, quote-unquote, sister's apartment in Rome. Um, in Rome, he suddenly disappeared, um, and then he turned up on trial in Israel, um, and he's currently living happily ever after, prison, still in prison. Okay, so that's, this guy's Mm. name was Mordecai Venunu. So the question that was posed to me was, was it permitted, is it permitted, as a Mossad or CIA agent, to to, uh, commit adultery in order to save the country? Okay.
2: Well, well, once established what the the 60 photographs would have done, that much damage to be revealed? I mean, most of this information is pretty well known about
1: well, now plant. this is 1982. At that time, there was no pictures. He was the first one who, who revealed pictures of of the nuclear facility, mm. Israel's nuclear facility, which could be pretty damaging. But you, it's a good point you're making, is because the damage had already occurred when they kidnapped him. He had already pictures, were I believe, already published in the London Times. Mossad still claimed that he's a danger to the country, um, that he was dangerous. Now that. I don't know if we could trust Mossad on that. Allahically I, I surely would not. But I'm saying they—they claimed that he was a danger to the country, and therefore they kidnapped him. Um, that's why they sent this agent. Now, was he really? I can't tell you. I don't know what other information he had at the time. Um, it could be. There's also the issue of obviously preventing future spies from from yeah. defecting. But I'm not sure. We'll, we'll have to discuss it. So, so, but that's the the question on the table is, is it. Permitted. But the that they used yes. to seduce them out. Right. So she didn't ask this question. I mean, maybe she did. She didn't ask me the question. If um, if if she if she's permitted to do this, like I said, she currently went back to her husband. So the, the issue, like we mentioned, is more than that because the Torah prohibits you once you commit adultery from going back to your spouse. Okay, so the question was now, and she's back with her spouse, so that's...
2: Yeah, but I can't stand the,
1: the, act the
2: spouse knowing she's going to be working as an operative and having sex with other men. I mean, come on, that sounds like
1: listen. Some people mm-hmm. have open marriages. It's uh,
2: watch the listen. Americans. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I <laughs> <laughs> am yeah,
1: saying this is uh, he obviously said maybe he admired what she's awesome. uh, doing all amazing all work yeah. to save the country. I'm saying it's it's uh, I'm sure it's a good paying job, also. <coughs> you could, you could. Um, I'm assuming she told him what his job was. I don't know if she could tell him everything, but she told him that she's working for them. I'm assuming she, he knew what her job entails. Guessing, I have no
2: idea. That's a lot of assumptions, <laughs> Right,
1: but, but it's irrelevant to the question whether the husband agreed or not. I mean, even if he agreed and he was very happy with the job, that doesn't mean that doesn't make it permitted. It's just because someone, the husband says, I'm fine, you know, let's have an open marriage. That doesn't make it. Pr- it's called it's still adultery in Jewish law.
3: Right. So
1: that would that that really is an irrelevant fact. Whether he was happy about it or not. So well, irrelevant that, uh, <coughs> at least. That's what I'm saying. Um, meaning, wh- whether if he consented, it doesn't ma- make it any less adultery. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe it makes it less of a psychological violation of their vows or whatever. Right. <coughs> But I'm saying it doesn't make it uh, less adultery. Um, Even if the husband consented, is what you're saying. Right. Uh, consent is not a, not a permission for. If
3: consent is not acceptable.
1: Yes. It's acceptable, but it's not. I'm saying the halakhically, it doesn't change the fact. So if, if Again, if the act was an act of adultery, then it's adultery whether the husband agrees to it or not. Um, so that's the question. Is it a lot permissible for a Jew to engage in operations such as this, especially in a scenario such as Cindy's, where she acted as a aishet which means a married woman, committing adultery for the sake of accomplishing a mission of capturing Vanuun? Okay. Um, Somehow
2: I find that very difficult to swallow.
1: Which which part should be permitted?
2: No, I mean, the whole scenario of the married woman going to have sex for the job and... You know, I'm saying this happens. Right. Yeah, uh, sometimes you uh, just
1: uh, have to take one for the team. You
2: know. um, when you're sitting on the side of the table, you, you can, can say, say that. "It's
1: your wife." Oh, but I'm saying the, the point is we're not discussing the husband's psychology here. Huh? That is a, a fascinating topic, um, but not for, not for a CLE class. Um, well,
3: so. Could Venunu have used that as an argument against his actions and that what she was doing was technically illegal under Jewish no. law, under Israeli yeah, law? First
1: of all, Israeli, Israeli law is not Jewish law. That's number one. It's, it's okay. The Israeli government doesn't keep halacha. Secondly, um, they kidnapped him, which is probably illegal too. I mean, a lot of yeah, It well, doesn't. He, you know the, the issue yeah. again, I, yeah. And also, the other question, which is relevant to what you're asking, is you know if they view it as war. War has different rules. Um, so okay. I, you know if it's an act of war, a spy. Okay.
0: Without consent.
2: Oh. And this guy's still in jail. Uh, were you sitting there? Yes, in the that's yes, that's he's still true. in jail. Yeah, yeah. to find a
1: picture him? of her. No, they tried him. He's in right. jail. He's they didn't. So he Israel got found guilty
2: executed. of espionage or? Yes,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what what she looks like today. I believe. <laughs> this is the woman today. This is today.
2: So did they find out what his motivation
1: was? That's
3: pretty wild. But you can just find her picture on the. you I mean,
2: he, he must have been uh, drinking a lot.
1: <laughs> no, this is dead. this is thirty years later.
2: Okay, but still, it reflects the past.
1: <laughs> okay, so that part is also relevant to the question. Okay, so now, so so normally, by the way, so just to go. Through so
3: is that other, the case that that if the law the law doesn't apply when it comes to
1: no? So um, that's what we're gonna try to answer now. Okay.
3: So in so, all the same
0: laws of what, what laws can you break to save a life and how tenuous
1: does the connection have to be? True, true. Okay, so that's we'll start off with that. So that's a good point. So meaning, so normally in the Torah there's a concept known as pikuach nefesh, which means saving a life. Saving a life overrides every, uh, every one of the 610 out of the 613. There's 610 mitzvahs you can violate to save a life. And there are three exceptions to that rule, so, but in general, there's a verse, that's why I quoted here number three, there's a verse in Leviticus, which says, I put the source there, sorry, it's in Leviticus, it says, um, <laughs> You shall observe my statutes, my ordinances, <laughs> which you shall do, Adam, uh, man, person, human, and <laughs> you shall live by them, and you shall live by them. I am God. so the, the the understanding of this verse is v'chaybahem. Even though simple interpretation here is just that you shall live by my mitzvah, by the ordinances. Um, but the Talmud interprets that to me You shall live by them. That means, in an, if in any which way, a mitzvah, one of the commandments, threatens your life, then you um, then you. Not only is it now permitted to violate that mitzvah but it's actually obligatory based on this. This is also, this is one of the 613. One of the 613 commandments is you shall live by the mitzvah. That means, if the mitzvah is endangering your life, don't do it, the Torah is telling you, don't do it. Don't think uh, you're more religious than, than the Torah. you can say, well, it's the mitzvah in the Torah, I gotta do it. The Torah says, no, you shall live by the mitzvot. So so if your doctor tells you, you need to eat a double bacon and cheese, your kipper so now it becomes a mitzvah to eat that double bacon and cheese. And you have to do it. You can't just say, well, I, you know, I'm, I, and as a rabbi, you get this a lot. But, you know, before Yom Kippur, this, you know, 80-year-old man's calling you up saying, I've never broken my fast. My doctor's telling me to break my fast. There's no way I'm going to listen. I'm going to break my fast. This year, I haven't done it for 80 years, right? So that's wrong. You have a mitzvah to break your fast, to eat on Yom Kippur if your doctor tells you you have to eat. If it's dangerous for you to fast, you have to break your fast. So that's as far as everything in the Torah. All Mitzvah and the Torah, except there are three exceptions to that, are and be here. The three exceptions are, what we, are known as the big three: is three cardinal sins known as murder, idolatry, and immorality, which is, adultery is included in that certain case of immorality. So that, that means if someone puts a gun to your head and says, kill this person, or I'm going to kill you, then you now have to allow yourself to be killed before, excuse me, before shooting, before murdering someone else. Okay, you can't murder someone to save your own life, even though the Torah says, "Shall live by them." And murder is one of the Ten Commandments, as we know. You shall not murder. You shall not murder is one of the Ten Commandments. So you, but you can't murder someone to save your own life. Okay? That's
3: self-defense. Oh, self-defense is different. That's oh, a killer. It's not. Yeah, a
1: murder. not murder. Self-defense is not murder. <coughs> you
3: can
1: kill someone to save your own life. No oh, gotcha. You can't murder someone. Gotcha. Meaning, okay. meaning, if it's an innocent person who doesn't deserve gotcha. to die, you <laughs> can't kill, him, um, even at the expense of your own life. That's number one. Number two is idolatry. That means if someone says bow to this statue of uh, Buddha or Jesus Christ, whoever it is, of your preferences, so it's prohibited, you have to give up your life before uh, uh, worshipping that pagan god. Okay, that's, that's exception number two. Um, even, by the way, if you don't, uh, then, yeah, I think even if you don't really mean it, and if it's just a show, so, you're obligated to give up your life. Like in okay. the Inquisition, for example. That's they, what I was going to ask. So the people who converted, they were doing the wrong thing. Um, the question is, are they liable or not? Because it's under duress. That's a different debate. Okay. Um, as far as, you no, know, they should have given up their lives. Obviously, it's easy for us to judge them. Um, but that's, that's, the Torah law is to give up your life. And the third one is, like we said, is um, there's a list of sexual prohibitions amongst them, uh, adultery. So, it means if someone puts a gun to your head and says, sleep with this married woman, you, are, you have to give up your life before sleeping. And the same thing applies for women. woman. someone puts a gun to a woman's head and says, sleep with this, she's a married woman's head, says sleep with this man, if it's, a, if it's a married man and a woman's single, she doesn't have to give up her life. Okay? It's only, again, it's only the definition of adultery, which means if someone puts a gun to a married woman's head and says, sleep with this guy, then she would have to give up her life before sleeping with him. Or if someone puts a gun to a ma- man's head who says, "Sleep with this married woman," he has to give a so Even if he's married, but the woman's not, then he's it becomes a mitzvah. <laughs> to, 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 uh. It's a little sexist. <laughs>
2: okay. Just a so little. let's say. uh
1: I it's just a little.
2: Your neighbor comes down with some very serious illness. You could drive him to the hospital. They can't get an ambulance or
1: something? Oh, or? Sure, that's, yeah. not a, that's not a question. Shabbat, we violate anything to save a
2: life. Any,
1: yeah, to save a life. You violate Shabbat to save a life, not questions. As a matter of fact, it says someone who goes and asks a question, asks their rabbi on Shabbat, so it says they're a murderer. As if they, they go and say, Well, I'm to show them a I'm showing Shabbat, let me go ask the rabbi before we take him to the hospital. So it says that person's a murderer and the rabbi's a murderer. Why? Because the rabbi didn't teach his community that that's permitted, and he says he has blood on his hands also. Now, this is a basic law. You Tough have to follow it. Not being a
2: rabbi. I <laughs>
1: oh,
2: so, used to see the question that you raised, like pregnant women on the holidays about fasting, and I always so that before
1: the holiday, fast. you could have, if they're not at the point yet. But I'm saying, let's mm-hmm. say a oh, woman's not feeling a pregnant woman on Yom Kippur, no question. You get rid of you. I mean, there's a, there's a process of how to do it. You just to first a little bit. absolutely but,
3: do that.
1: Yeah. But you don't go and ask a question when someone's ill, that's the point. Someone is in an emergency, you don't go and ask, start calling the rabbi and asking questions. You Sorry, do the pregnancy it. Question. Better do it, meaning if there's a 1% chance of saving a life, even if a 1% chance, you're obligated to do it.
2: So in to the violate case, Shabbat. In the pregnancy question, I've seen a lot of times, and it's happened a few times, I know, that the doctor will tell the woman, okay, you, fasting is not healthy for you. You're eight months pregnant, so because I know there's a rule, isn't it? According to what stage of the pregnancy so the doctor body
1: says, body. it's dangerous. I mean, yeah.
2: Right, and then you go to the rabbi, and he says, well, you need to fast.
1: And, and that's a bad rabbi. I don't know the rabbi. Well, I
2: mean, I've seen it happen a couple of times, and I'm not going to draw any conclusions about it. But
1: no, I'm saying depending, if again depending on the case, it was before Yom Kippur, and the woman says, listen, I feel comfortable with this. That might be different. Um,
2: but uh, in general, you'd say if, if the doctor would say. Usually we go you with the doctor. Eva- matter of fact,
1: even it. if the doctor says she can fast, or anyone, the, patient, the doctor says this person can fast, and the patient says, I feel like I have to break my fast, the halacha is you go with the patient. You always err on the side of, when it comes to life, you always err on the side of caution. So it means if the doctor says it's okay, you can fast, and the patient's saying, I can't fast, and you're, the patient's allowed to break fast. the fast. Same with
3: keeping Passover and stuff like
2: that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you think well
2: different? I mean I don't know what it is with basso, you, you can eat bread, you can't eat bread. I mean you know
1: No, I'm saying the <coughs> this person needs bread, whatever the case. See, um,
0: see me after the court giving
1: out prescriptions. <laughs> yeah, <but you laughs> Okay. So, so again the three exceptions are murder, idolatry, and so for argument's sake, adultery. Um, so now so the issue now becomes so so pretty clear. So even to save your own life, you can cannot violate adultery. Okay, um, but what? But what about this case? We're talking about saving the country. So it's So really, the Talmud asks this question. The precedent. We always have to look for precedent. The precedent, of course, is one of the main precedents we have is Esther, the story of Purim, Queen Esther, as we know, is married to Ahasuerus, to the king, the Persian king who ruled all the Persian Empire, 127 countries. Civilized world at the time, um, he was a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, Saddam Hussein traced his roots back to, to him too. He was the one who actually destroyed the first temple. Um, but uh, the the question is how? Talmud asks this question: How is Esther allowed to sleep with the king? According to one Medrish, she was married to she was actually married to Mordechai. Everyone agrees Mordechai was her uncle. And some, and there's one measure that that understands that actually she was his niece. She, sorry, she was also she was his niece, White. but she was also his wife. Okay, so now, so, the question is, how was she allowed? I to? This took place in Israel, not West Virginia, <laughs> in Louisiana. Um, I saw I saw a good line yesterday. It says, "What's the uh, what's Alabama's tagline? At least we're not Mississippi."
0: <laughs> yeah. thank, thank God for Mississippi is
2: always
1: said
3: when we
2: went So that's funny. <clears throat> so what about Mordecai being obligated to tell everyone that she was his wife?
1: No, oh, she was an obligation. The question is what right did she have to sleep? The king. She was a beauty contest. She so so Talmud says a fascinating thing. Uh, the Talmud asked this question says, How could Esther it's one of the big three she would have to give up her life? for sleeping with the king. So, so Talmud says, very, uh, this is interesting, It's a leniency for women, as we're going to see. The So let's first, before we get to sex, let's discuss murder. So let's say, so murder, again, we're saying, if someone puts a gun to your and says, kill this guy, or I'm going to kill you. Shoot this person, I'm going to kill you. Yes, you, you, you have to, to be killed. Right, you have to let yourself be killed. Now, what happens if they don't do that? Let's say they pick up your body. They're going to use you as a weapon to smother babies. The baby on the floor, and, they, and they're going to smother the baby with your body do you have to give up your life before allowing them to smother the body? Says Tosvot. there's a commentary there in the Talmud, no, because it's only doing an action. I can't kill someone, do an act of murder, and choose, to keep meaning that saying that my life is more important. I'm saying my life is more important. So I can't do an action, but let's say I'm being passive, and they're just using my body as a weapon, says Tosvot, then then uh, there's no obligation to give up your life. If they're going to say, listen, let us use your body, or we're gonna, or we'll kill you. Then, in that case, you can let them use your, use your body, because you're not doing an action of murder. You're being, you're doing, you're laying their limp, you're being passive, and they are using your body as a weapon. So that's not, they're making, they're doing the act of murder, not you. But you're as a party
2: to s- the act, though.
1: you can't party, do what they're but doing unless you're a true. right, right, but you're being passive. The point is you're not doing an action. That's the key point, you're being passive. So pa- passive, you're not doing the act of murder. They're doing the act of murder. Says Tosa, that doesn't fit into this category. You wouldn't have to give up your life. So now, applying that to, to sexual relations, Tosa says the same thing. Wow. Esther, she just lay there. This is the, again, I'm, I can't make this stuff up, it's so good. Um, Esther, it says, the language of the Talmud is she just lay there as a clod of earth. She didn't do any action, she lay there as a clod of earth. <laughs> and therefore, she was permitted, she didn't have to give up her life do
3: that. Wow.
1: <laughs> And
3: Abba is writing very favorable sometimes, huh?
1: So, so uh-huh. she says, uh, the, the language of the Gemara is, Esther Karka Olamo. She was a, a piece of earth. That's all she was. She didn't move. So therefore she wasn't obligated to give up her life. That's, what's, that's what the Talmud says. She didn't even
0: fight <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so, so, the, uh, so that's why, the, the Talmud just answered you why she was... Well, didn't have to give up her life in that situation. Now, what's interesting is we we um, have here in the sheet and put it here. But the language actually, even in the Megillah, by the way, says like this: We have a different problem. So you're right; she didn't have to give up her life, but that doesn't mean it's not adultery because it's it's important to separate the two. Uh, meaning, like we're saying, let's say those the people getting back to the position, people with idolatry. The fact that they didn't give up their life, they converted to Christianity was prohibited, they were were obligated to give up their life. But they still, according to most, the question is, did they commit an act of idolatry? Because anything under duress, technically, is not considered your act. They were under duress. They had a gun to their head saying, convert to Christianity. So they were saying, according to the Torah, they should have given up their life. But the fact that they worshipped, they became Catholics now, doesn't make them, doesn't say that they committed idolatry. They were supposed to give up their life in order not to do that. But did they commit adultery? Is that meaning because the act again was still under duress. So there, you have two parts there, here. Let's say We're saying Esther didn't have to give up for life. That still doesn't mean that the act wasn't adultery. Question is, was it adultery or not? So, so there. So that's where we. Uh, to, it's discussed over there. The issue is like this. Meaning, meaning initially Esther was taken by force. Um, she was on, They had a beauty contest. Anyone who was. Any um, woman in the, ca- in the in the kingdom had to submit herself to the king. That was the beauty contest. He tried out every every woman in the country. Um, so so that was the rest. At a later point, and I don't have the words in front of me, the Miguel says that Esther told Mordecai. Convinces Esther, you need to go. Once there was a decree to kill out the whole nation, you need to go to the king and talk him out of Tell him what's going on. And, and until now, the king had no idea she was Jewish. So She was going to go in and risk her life. It says. She says, I will do, the language of the Megillah is, I will do what's against the law. The simple interpretation means she's going in against the law because there's a protocol. You have to make an appointment with the king. She's just going to go barge into his chambers. Okay. And, uh, and, and then she tells Mordechai, avadeti avadeti. And I might be lost. That means, the, the Talmud interprets that to mean that she's saying, I might never be able, we might not be able to get back together after this because now I'm going in willingly to the king. Okay, once I'm going willingly, that's against the law, meaning which law? The law of adultery. I'm committing adultery willingly. till now, it was the rest. But now, if I'm going into his chambers willingly, so that's not that's not the rest anymore. So I'm willingly committing the act of adultery in order to save the Jewish nation. But now we're not going to be able to remain married. So that's what they want to bring a proof. So if you turn the p- page here, so I found three responses in actually discussing this. So number one, it says the Marik writes. Marik was a this, it's a acronym it stands for Moshe Kodavaro I believe and he lived in the 1500's or so writes like this, he says it is abundantly clear that Esther did not violate any prohibition there was not even a trace of Avera of sin, rather she did a great mitzvah to save all of Israel, so she was allowed to do it, he's saying it's not defined it's um, as adultery since her goal was to save the nation of Israel, that's not adultery surely this is so, for when she came before the king she descended upon her, she had the divine spirit, it was quite obviously an extremely great mitzvah. Likewise, you find that Yael, there's another case um, that you find in Tanakh, um, where a woman um, actually seduces the, I believe it's a Greek general, Roman general, I don't remember who the story, name was Yael, and, um, and Sisera, she, she, sorry, the guy she seduced was Sisera, she got him drunk. She gave him a lot of wine, then gave him, first gave him a lot of cheese, he was thirsty, gave him a lot of wine, then she, she brought him into her tent, and then she, she lobbed off his head, she decapitated him and brought his head out and all the Roman legions, you know, ran away. So she saved, there was also some war in Israel, she saved him. Okay, see the movie? Okay. Um, so he's saying, so you see from these two precedences that he did nothing wrong. If, likewise you find that Yal, the wife of Heber Akini was lauded regarding the incident with Sister. so you see the fact that they laud them, that they say they did a great thing, it was completely allowed was it? it's not to find this adultery I have another, so I found the second response here from the Shavut Yaakov who he had, a, this is an actual question that took place, so the question that was posed to him was by husband, a husband they were on a trip somewhere found in southwest and a group of, of bandits surrounded them and basically said um, said they, they were ready to kill the whole group. So this woman, amongst the group, basically offered herself to the bandits, instead of you know, murdering everyone, said, listen, you can have me, and you know, have your way with me, and, and saved everyone's life. It was a group of, doesn't say how many, maybe 10 mm-hmm. people, her husband amongst them. So you see in other cases, the husband obviously agreed for her to do this, okay? and they basically she gave herself up willingly to this group of bandits the, the, the husband then after the story happened the husband came to the rabbi with the halakha question can we stay married now because she willingly committed adultery wasn't under duress I mean you could argue it was under duress they were going to kill them but they didn't ask to sleep with her she basically offered herself So, can she now go back um, to her husband that was the question posed so the rabbi answered there, he says, even though she acted correctly, and she, she did the right thing by offering herself and by saving everyone's life, um, she's prohibited her husband. He said she still, she can't stay married, because again, if it's an act of adultery, the Torah says you can't go back to your husband. Even though there's no trace of sin, as she acted in order to save the group, she's prohibited her husband, as we yell and Esther. And his precedent, his proof is from Esther. Esther, as we said, she, the, the Talmud interprets her conversation. Mordechai, as she's saying, once I do this willingly, I'm not going to be able to go back to you. We're never going to see each other anymore. So, to here, um, this this is he's ruling that it's okay what she did, the right thing. But he uh, she can't she cannot, he, she cannot go back to her husband. So, according to this, Cheryl Bentov would not be able to go back to her husband, even assuming she did the right thing. Is, yeah.
0: Do those, Do the Torah in? Say that she said she wouldn't be able to see him again, or that she may not see him
1: again. Well, it's her language. Esther is quoting Esther. Esther's language is, I, I mean, I'm going against the law. That's her words. Um, I'm committing something against the law. And kasharavati, if I become lost, I will become lost. That's her words.
0: So, so, <laughs> so. if does doesn't say that she would be lost. Right.
1: It well, I don't know if it's if. or uh,
0: Sometimes I put. Yes. No,
1: no, it's a, it's a, it's a, good point. But the Talmud, this okay. opinion of the Talmud is interpreting it that way by saying, you know, she's, she's implying she will be lost. I I said maybe she didn't know if they're going to have relations. You know, just because they're going, she's going to the king's chambers doesn't always mean, right.
2: okay. <laughs> The example you gave.
3: Right? has other points.
2: <laughs> the one you gave with the Holocaust and the gun at the head, change of religion. Isn't there some kind of rule to save your life that you could do that too?
1: No, that's what I'm saying, not for idolatry. can't save your life by worshiping a pagan god. Mm-hmm. can't save your life by going to Lakewood Church on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, well,
2: Jones is pretty good. I mean, uh, <laughs> Jones is a great speaker,
1: man. Right, that's true. I don't think that's pagan. I don't think that's religion. Right. Sure religion. But, uh, Okay, so, so ba- again, according to opinion number A, Rick, so then was saying there's no problem she, what she did was great, Cheryl Bentov, she could even go back to her husband. We'll discuss it in more detail in a second. According to opinion number two, he says she did the right thing, but she'd be prohibited to her husband, so she couldn't remain married. And according to this so opinion number three, quotes number two, is written by the No De who was the chief rab- 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 rabbi of Prague in the 1500s. Um, And he writes, so he's quoting number two, and he says he doesn't like, he says like this, he doesn't quote him by name, but he says, this ruling that is permissible for a married woman to willingly commit adultery in order to save lives is incorrect. I disagree with with what is written in one response, referring to the previous response. And he brought proof from Esther. I claim that since the rabbis taught that one may violate any prohibition in order to heal, um may violate any prohibition a life-threatening situation in order to heal, aside from the big three, from idolatry, adultery, and murder. Just as we may not heal through these prohibitions, so too we may not save lives from them. That means if the doctor tells you you eat a double bacon and cheese, you have to eat it. But if the doctor tells you in order for you to be healed, you need to sleep with this married woman, you have to, you, you have to die before you sleep with that married woman. Okay? So now, what about Esther? We see Esther slept with the king. So he says, Esther was different because she was saving the entire Jewish people from Hodu until Kush. The Megillah says that Ahasuerus ruled over the entire civilization at the time. Now, as we know, the Jews weren't living in Israel. They were exiled after the destruction of Israel. The story of Purim took place between the first second temple. Seventy years between the, to, for, the first second temple. The whole Jewish nation was exiled out of Israel. And Ahasuerus was their ruler. So that means the decree of Haman to, to commit genocide on the Jewish nation was everyone, okay? It was the whole Jewish nation. Um, so therefore, it says, Esther was saving the entire Jewish people. But for some woman who, found in fine, southwest just gets held up by bandits to offer herself freely to, to commit adultery, to save lives, he says that's not permitted. That's not saving the whole Jewish nation. Okay, so he's saying Esther was only allowed, the only reason she was allowed to do what she did was because she was saving the Jewish nation. We cannot extrapolate.
0: So, what happens to, to save one life
3: is to save the entire world. No, oh,
1: well, that's clearly not true because we're saying normally you can't commit adultery to save it one It was
3: life. the same case with Yael. Mm-hmm. Be, but yeah, she so wasn't really
1: saving the whole nation uh, well I don't, I don't know the history as well but, okay. but I, I believe it was uh, the Roman legions were coming to destroy okay. Israel okay. So, so it was possible yes. the same thing All right, so he says we can, but he says that we cannot extrapolate, extrapolate from the entire Jewish people to individuals so saving individuals' life is not approved furthermore Esther had the consent of Mordechai in his court To Mordechai was a member of the Sanhedrin originally possibly through Ruach Akodesh, which means Esther was also a prophet, uh, i do not prophetess. I guess a prophet. prophetess. So therefore, he says maybe she had a special comp- dis- compensation. God gave her a special right. dispensation. Right, dispensation from God. Um, he says so you had no proof from Esther. To to uh, now the question now becomes so this gets back to what we we're saying. Two things. One is was Sheryl Bentov saving the entire Jewish nation? Um, clearly, not all Jews live in Israel. So you want to make the argument if Israel wouldn't exist, there'll be more anti-Semitism in the world. I don't know. That's a weak, weak argument. But what I did find is that some say that the land, Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, uh, the community in Israel is considered like the entire Jewish nation. In other areas of halacha, you find that concept. So you can. Make you make that argument, um, but the question well, really goes back to what you asked originally: was how damaging? Yeah, how damaging? That, meaning, was it? That really,
2: is, that was exactly. Was what call would
1: happen there. if they wouldn't have put Vadunu on trial? They wouldn't have kidnapped him. Would how damaging would that be? How much other information did he have, et cetera. So So again, I don't think you can trust the Mossad on that. Um, I wouldn't trust them. So that
2: negates the. No, so I don't know, but I'm
1: saying yes. But I'm saying assuming excuse, if you right. take the Mossad at face value, they're saying he was a danger to the country. So so then maybe you can say she was permitted to do what she did. Again, the, then there would be two opinions whether she can stay married to her to her husband at the time, whose name was, I have here somewhere.
2: Right, but without belaboring the point. Uh,
1: Oferbento.
2: You said the picture had already been published, so right. the damage was done in the Yeah, but
1: again, we don't know what else he had. Right. Maybe he had more stuff on his drum drive or whatever. And I, I don't know. You're right, so, so what it boils down to is um, to save the country, it's clearly permitted. As far as remaining married to your cousin, current husband, that's that seemed to be an argument, two opinions. Um, and then the question here would be, in this particular case, so if you're working for the CIA, it clearly wouldn't apply. You wouldn't have this leniency. If a woman uh, agent, as a female agent for the CIA wouldn't have the leniency, or a male, by the way, works both ways. If it's a male agent who would be sleeping with a married woman, so you wouldn't have the leniency because, again, it has to be to save the whole Jewish nation so it wouldn't apply in America, for the CIA unless you're doing a mission which will save Israel. But that's the bottom line. Did it
3: matter that both of them were intelligence agents? In which case? In that... I, I, I don't know if he was. Yeah, it says he was as, as well. Oh,
1: yeah? Okay. Would that it was. matter? I don't know. Why is that relevant. Really I don't know. Saying? I don't know why I put that there. But you put that... Um, <laughs> so that's why I'm
3: asking because um, I don't, don't see why that
1: don't have meaning. I don't see why that would be relevant um, to the to the to the legal question. I'm saying I don't see how that would be. But relevant. for them getting the, the, the getting consent, right again, get, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, listen, he. That's what I said. I think he clearly consented. He understood what the job entails. But again, consent.
3: More so than just a common man who didn't know that she was. More than likely, he knew that she
1: was a yeah, child. I'm saying that's, I, I don't <laughs> see how that's relevant. The consent means nothing as far as adultery is concerned, it's still it make it. right. So now, uh, we got it. Please don't call me on any of this. <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> call Megan first.
1: I want to talk,
2: we'll call you.
0: of our lectures. Please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.